The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. You open your Bibles back up to Leviticus. We're going to continue to read our passage for today, reading Leviticus 7, the entire chapter. Leviticus chapter 7, let's now give our attention as God speaks to us in His Word. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. It is the place where they kill the burnt offering, or in the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long globe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by beast may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of an animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the, with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the, priest, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is, that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased at his blessing to it. Well, there's a line in one of the songs that we sing, and I think we're going to sing this as our closing song, that goes, We worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness. And this is a phrase that comes from the Psalms in a couple of places. In fact, we're commanded to worship the Lord in this manner, in the beauty of holiness. And the ESV translates it as the splendor of holiness. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? And how do we know that we have done that? In our day, it we tend to think that it's when we have achieved an emotional high. When we have reached a certain level of pleasure in our experience in church. Been strongly moved by the music. Allowed to express our, uh, our authentic self. Not had our style cramped, so to speak. And it doesn't cost us anything. We're not asked to do anything that's not pleasing to our wills. It's when it was a very pleasant experience for us 
then we think that we have achieved worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It felt very beautiful to us. On the other hand, very conservative, independent, fundamental Baptist churches think that expressing any emotion whatsoever makes you a charismatic. In fact, I still remember a post by the Babylon Bee where it says that during a worship service, the automatic lights that stay on turned off during one of the worship services in one such church. The frozen chosen, as they've been called. However, is beauty and worship centered on how we express ourselves or how we feel? Well, since God is the one being worshipped, the first question should be, what's beautiful worship to God? And in today's passage, we actually get a good picture. The five offerings that we have already looked at in the first five chapters of Leviticus are revisited in our passage today, except they are given more details with regards to the priest. But in this, as Pastor Tim mentioned, we get a picture of what it looks like to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness as those who are priests to our God. And of course, we need to see how this applies to us as New Covenant Christians who don't offer up animal sacrifices, but we still see principles here for our worship today. So five Old Testament sacrifices that give us a picture of worship and the beauty of holiness. And they are the five sacrifices that we've already looked at. First, we begin with the burnt offering, which was covered in chapter 1 of Leviticus, but it's revisited in verses 8-13 through 13 of chapter 6. Now remember what that burnt offering, or the whole burnt offering, was. It was both slaughtered and burned at the altar located at the entrance to the tabernacle in the presence of of God, so that the worshiper may come into God's presence in order to worship Him. You could not come to worship God unless this was first offered up. Something had to be killed. Something had to be set on fire in order for the worshiper to come into God's presence. And we get more details about this sacrifice in our passage today. Verse 9 says that the sacrifice shall be on the altar all night. And then in verse 12, we see that the sacrifice is offered also in the morning. Morning and evening is when the sacrifice was offered. So that there is something always burning on the altar 24 hours a day. And this reveals that in order for God to dwell with His people, there needed to be a sacrifice. If there was not a sacrifice burning, no one approach God, which of course points to the need for a better and perfect sacrifice. And because the sacrifice is holy, it should really focus on the holiness of these sacrifices. Because they were holy, the priests that were to offer them were to remove the ashes and bring them to a clean place where no unclean animal or person was. And he needed to make sure that he removes his outer garments when he leaves the premise of the tabernacle because these garments could not 
be exposed to a common place because they were holy. They were to stay within the holy place of the tabernacle. And we also see in verses 12 to 13 that the priests are to keep the fire burning so that it never goes out. And this is because of the divine origin of the fire. We're going to see in chapter 9 that what lit the sacrifice, the, what, the first fire that was kindled came from heaven. So it has the divine origin. It's the inextinguishable flame of God who's a consuming fire. And this reveals to us what Christ, our great sacrifice, went through. He did not merely endure unimaginable physical torment. As bad as that was, He also suffered in His soul the wrath of God for our sins. Fire did not come down from heaven visibly, but He nevertheless was tormented in His soul by an eternal and indistinguishable flame as it were. The flame of God Almighty. But if He did not do this for us, then we ourselves would face this terrible and eternal wrath ourselves. Revelation 14, 10-11, speaking of the one who faces the wrath of God, says, He, that is the one facing the wrath of God, will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Those in hell are described in terms of the burnt offering, where they are going up in smoke day and night with this inextinguishable flame of God. And so if you have not trusted Christ, if you have not repented of your sin, acknowledge your sin before God and acknowledge that you can't do anything about it, that there's no amount of efforts on your part to atone for your sin, then you must turn to Christ. You must turn to Him and trust in His sacrifice as the one who endured this inextinguishable flame of God on your behalf. Believe on the Lord Jesus, the only burnt offering there is to satisfy this flame. And you will be saved. And you will be able to draw near to God and have peace and fellowship and communion with Him. But this, what this shows us in worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is that in order to come to Him, we must come to Him in Christ. That is, in His name, depending on that sacrifice. That's one of the first things we learn when it comes to worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness. We don't come based on our merits. We come on the merits of Christ. The second Old Testament sacrifice that gives us a picture of worshiping and the beauty of holiness, that gives us some more details about what it looks like to do this, is the grain or tribute offering. We saw this in Leviticus 2, but we get more details at 6.14-23. through 23. Remember that the grain and tribute offering was offering the fruit of one's labors. Giving to God our service to Him, not as though God needed anything, but as reasonable service 
as creatures to our God and Creator, bringing a gift to Him. In verse 15, we get the same essential instructions as we saw in verse in, in chapter 2. The worshiper takes a handful of flour and grain and pours oil on it. And remember that oil represented both the anointing of the Holy Spirit and joy, the oil of gladness. Our good works can only be produced by the work of God, the Holy Spirit in us. Apart from that, there are no good works offered up to God. And we must serve God with joy, not begrudgingly, not trying to quell our guilt, not trying to make up for our guilty conscience. Those are dead works, Hebrews says. But rather, joy. And true joy only comes out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. That is the only way to serve God in joy. Not trying to serve Him out of a slavish fear of hell, as the Reformer said, but rather gratitude out of the freedom we have in Christ who has delivered us from our sins. Then we see that this grain offering also had frankincense, which was a very fragrant and pleasing aroma. And this pictures that our good works done in dependence of Christ's work and the Holy Spirit's work is pleasing to God. It's accepted by God. Then we learn more details in verses 16 through 18 that a portion of it shall be for the priest. Uh, the priest shall eat it in a holy place because, because the sacrifice is most holy. Therefore, it shall not have any leaven because... Does that mean my time's up? <laughs> like, that last sermon was so long that we got to put an alarm. See, now I lost my place. Where was I? Oh, here we are. The priest shall eat it in a holy place because the sacrifice is most holy. That's what we're going to keep seeing here. Therefore, it's not to have any leaven because it's, leaven is often used in the Bible to uh, depict sin and the spread of sin. In chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, we see that the grain offering uh, was either given to the particular priest who offered it or shared with the high priest and his sons equally, depending on the specific kind of grain offering. We're going to see that there's three different kinds. And what we see here is that our service to God and worship to Him, bringing some of the fruits of the labors of our hands, is to provide for the Lord's ministers. Uh, Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 9, 13-14, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So our offerings that we give to God in worship are to supply the needs of those who are in full-time ministry, both pastors and missionaries. And this is why we take an offering as part of our worship service, because it is part of our worship. And we also see in chapter 6, verses 19 through 23, that the priests likewise were to bring a grain offering. They too were to tithe. They too were to give some of the fruit of their labors. However, they were not to eat of this sacrifice, but it is to be wholly burned because it is given to the Lord. This is what worshiping God and the beauty of holiness looks like. 
It's serving God by bringing Him the works of our hands, our tithes and offerings, our gifts and abilities used for the purpose of serving Christ in His body. A third Old Testament sacrifice that gives us a picture of worship and the beauty of holiness is this purification or sin offering. We saw this in Leviticus 4, verses 1 through chapter 5, verse 13 last time. And this is referred to as sin offering in the ESV, but we get more details here in chapter 6, verses 24 through 30 as it's revisited. And remember, the purification offering was offered so that the worshiper could continue continue to worship God in light of having committed unintentional sin. It was what purified him from defilement in the holy place so that God may continue to dwell with him. It was the blood that washed away their sin. And here we learn the rules about eating the sacrifice. Verse 25 says it's most holy. Therefore, verse 26 says that the priest who offered up the sacrifice must eat it in a holy place. And verse 27 says that if the blood of that sacrifice is splashed on a garment, it must be washed because the blood could not be carried to a common place being holy. Again, we see the holiness of the sacrifice, how special and important and significant the sacrifice is. And verse 28 says that the vessels in which the sacrifice was boiled in for eating must either be destroyed if it's earthenware or ceremonially washed with bronze because once it is used for this purpose, it cannot be used for common purposes. It is consecrated as holy because it was used for the sacrifice. This includes that the priests alone are to eat it, as we see in verse 29. And the meat must be eaten on that day because it is special meat. It cannot go to waste. Again, we see the significance and holiness of the sacrifice. What we see here is that worshiping God and the beauty of holiness pays high regard for the sacrifice offered on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. We treat the blood of the sacrifice as holy. We recognize its distinct value. And we see this even in Hebrews 10, where those who disregard the sacrifice of Christ disregard its holiness and trample underfoot the Son of God. So how do we do this then as new covenant worshipers? Because we do not offer up animal sacrifices. Well, we do so by focusing on the, worship, on the work of Christ in our worship service, giving it the distinct honor in our hearts, affections, minds, and mouth. What do we focus on when we worship God? Do we focus on our works? Or do we focus on the work of Christ for us? Does that receive the distinct honor? Just as the shedding of blood was central in the Old Covenant, so is the case in our new covenant worship. Except we reflect upon, we recognize, and we depend upon that sacrifice that has been offered up once and for all. And with joy, with hearts of joy, we sing of this all-sufficient sacrifice. We sing of the work of Christ. And we guard our minds and our mouths to not speak of it flippantly. 
irreverently or wrongly. And since no sacrifices need to be offered up in light of Christ, once and for all, perfect sacrifice that is forever atoned for our sin, rather than offering up these sacrifices for purification, we simply confess our sins and confess our faith in this sacrifice that Jesus has offered for our ongoing cleansing of sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. So rather than bringing a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, we confess our sins. We rely on this sacrifice that Christ has offered. So the forgiveness and cleansing, this purification for our sins does not come by offering up an animal sacrifice, but rather by confessing our sins and trusting in that once and for all sacrifice that Christ has made to atone for our sins. And this is not to say that we are resaved or have our sins atoned for again by simply uttering some words. Rather, by confessing our sins, how this cleanses away guilt is that it cleanses away a guilty conscience, the filth that we feel from our remaining sin or when we fall into sin. How are we relieved from our guilt? How we are relieved from our guilt is by going to Christ and trusting in Him and acknowledging our sin before Him and trusting in this sacrifice. And this is certainly different than the way we tend to come to worship. Think about when somebody in Israel, a worshiper, confessed his sins. What did he do? He brought a purification offering in the presence of all to the tabernacle and leaned on it in the presence of all, acknowledging his dependence on it. And it was slaughtered on his behalf. How do we tend to worship today? We tend to come and put on a show. We tend to come afraid of what people might think of us. We tend to come afraid that we're going to be exposed as not righteous. We come with a happy face, at least on the outside. And don't talk about the fact that we struggle with sin. And many times the outside world will say, well, look at those Christians. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And of course, in one sense, we don't care what the outside world says. But imagine if they came to a worship service where we confessed our sins and acknowledged our need of forgiveness in Christ. They would not say those are a bunch of hypocrites. They would say those are People who know their sin and misery and depend upon Christ and His work. In Israel's worship, they brought a sacrifice in the presence of all, which was a clear indicator that they had sinned and they needed forgiveness. Now it's very private. I don't want anyone to know anything about my sin and misery. So what the practice became in the medieval church was I'm going to go privately confess it to a priest in a, in a private box. But worshiping in the 
worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is not to be functional liars and pretend like we have no sin when we approach God. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, somebody comes into the presence of God, they don't say, look how wonderful I am, Lord. I, I just want to praise you. They fall on their faces and say, I am a sinner. But like the Israelites who brought a sacrifice for sin, worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is to come before God confessing our sins. Now, the way we do that, as you notice, it's not by having a microphone up here. Like, come on up here and confess your sins. We're, we're going to do that now. Tim, come, go ahead, come up here. Rather, is you, I hope you've noticed, it's during the pastoral prayer or corporate worship. Make sure that when we come before God as a corporate body, we are acknowledging our sin before God, but also acknowledging the sacrifice made on our behalf. Now, the more common way this has been done, especially in Reformed churches, is for uh, the whole body corporately to read a confession, uh, a prayer of confession, or a section of Scripture acknowledging their sins, which is Psalm uh, 51. Now, this kind of went by the wayside. and we just focus on our works and programs and our good deeds. But it used to be that people would actually come acknowledging their sin, a public confession of sin. But it does not end there. Just as the Old Testament worshiper publicly leaned on that sacrifice that was offered on his behalf, we publicly confess our confidence in that one sacrifice of Christ. And this has typically been done in the worship service by joyfully receiving an assurance of pardon, a proclamation from the pulpit based on the authority of the Scriptures that we who believe are forgiven in Christ. So to worship in the beauty of holiness, we acknowledge our sins before the presence of a holy God and also acknowledge our confidence in the sacrifice that Christ has made for our atonement, the only sacrifice that washes away our sins. Now, a fourth Old Testament sacrifice that gives us a picture of worship and the beauty of holiness is this reparation or guilt offering. We saw this in Leviticus 5, 14 through 6, 7, but we get a bit more detail in chapter 7, specifically verses 1 through 7. Now remember the reparation offering was to make atonement in light of costing someone something, uh, whether God, where we devoted something to God, or they devoted something to God and accidentally used it for their own purposes, such as grain, I'm going to give this as a grain offering to the Lord, set this aside and accidentally use it and, and eat it, or in light of stealing from somebody and lying about it. They were to offer up uh, this sacrifice, and then they were to add a fifth to it. And they were also to pay back the one that they robbed out of repentance, true repentance, and add a fifth to it in light of the loss that they suffered being without that thing. And so we see worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is to give to God what is owed to Him. To treat as holy the things that the Lord calls us to treat as holy and to demonstrate fruit of repentance in our lives. The fifth and final Old Testament sacrifice that gives us a picture of worship and beauty of holiness is this peace or communion offering. As you can see, I'm kind of going fast, and I think it's better to look at broad themes rather than 
kind of get down into all the, the little details. But we see the peace or communion offering in chapter 3 of Leviticus, but we get more details in chapter 7, verses 11 through 38. Now, whereas before this was placed in the middle, so we had the burnt offering, then you had the grain or gift offering, then this peace offering was was spoken up in chapter 3, and then the reparation, uh, the purification offering, then the reparation offering. This is put last. And I think the reason for this order is because the order presented of the sacrifices is based on what could be eaten, starting with what couldn't be eaten, then moving to what only the priest could eat. But this one could be eaten by both the priest and the one offering this up. The communion meal was eating of the sacrifice offered up in the presence of God. It was a meal shared with God. A portion was given to God. Of course, God doesn't literally eat, but it was burned up on the the altar, uh, given to God in that way. And then the priest and the people would sit down and eat the meal together. And this reveals that part of worship is enjoying God's presence drawing near in close communion to him. And the primary way that this was expressed in the ancient Near East was sitting down for a meal. This was the prime sign of welcome, of fellowship, of acceptance. And so that's what this is signifying here, that we are able to come into the presence of God and that having a meal shows that we have close communion and fellowship with God. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And from this passage here, we learned that there are three different types of peace offerings or three different reasons to offer it. First, in verses 12 through 15, we see that it can be offered as a thanksgiving or praise offering. So we're getting a picture of what it means to worship God in the beauty of holiness by the, the three different Ways or three different reasons to offer up the, this particular sacrifice. Why offer up the sacrifice? I want to thank God. I want to praise Him. Uh, this is giving thanks to God for a myriad of reasons that are often listed in the Psalms. Simply because He is good and His love endures forever. Because of all the benefits of the Lord, forgiving our sins, healing all our spiritual diseases, even our physical ones, giving thanks to God for that, satisfying us with good, renewing our strength like the eagles. It could be because he heard our cry. He answered our prayer. He sustained us. He richly has blessed us with knowing him. It could be a myriad of reasons. In fact, these sacrifices were offered up while singing praise to God with song. So worshiping God in the beauty of holiness involves giving public thanks to the Lord, which is what we do when we gather and we sing to Him. Now we also see here that two types of bread were offered, both unleavened and leavened bread. Again, unleavened bread was a sign that it lacked corruption, that it was pure. But leaven is not always a sign of corruption and evil. Because we also see here that they were to bring leavened bread in verse 13 of chapter 7. 
That was a blessing. Leaven is actually a blessing. It makes the food taste good. It causes it, or the bread to taste good. It causes it to rise. And just as a side note, kind of a by-the-way comment, I think this is why it's not necessary to have unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper. Where Some will say, well, when we have the Lord's Supper, it's unleavened bread because they always offered up unleavened bread in the Old Testament. And this shows that's not true. They, all, they also offer leavened bread. Not dogmatic on it. It's just those who dogmatically affirm it must be unleavened. Like, well, we see here it's actually leavened. But that's kind of a, that's a freebie. That's a by-the-way comment. I'm not going to charge you for that. Although, you do notice that, um, I, I missed this, but the, uh, the hide was, was given uh, to the priest. So, next time you kill a buffalo, you know, need to keep Pastor Tim warm, so walking around his buffalo hide. The next type of peace offering is the vow offering. So again, this is a peace offering, but this is another reason why someone would offer it up. It's a vow. So when one makes a vow to the Lord, if the Lord does this, then I will respond this way. That was one such reason. We see this, for example, with with Hannah in the Old Testament, where she vowed to the Lord, if you give me a child, then I will dedicate this child to the Lord, which she did with Samuel. And so part of worship in the Lord and the beauty of holiness is to make sure that we give thanks to the Lord for answered prayer. That we keep our commitments uh, to Him. To do the things that we promise to do for the Lord. Keeping our membership commitments. The next type of peace offering is the free will offering. Also in verse 16. There's no particular reason for this other than just love the Lord. Kind of a catch-all. I just love the Lord and want to give to Him. And this is worshiping in the beauty of holiness. Not under compulsion, but freely, from the heart. Not because you'll look bad. Not because the, the pastor's going to come visit you if you don't show up. Not you're being here because you don't want to disappoint your family. You're because this is where your friends are. Rather, you worship the Lord freely from the heart because you love Him. And you're genuinely thankful to him and want to do his will. And this meal was portioned out properly. The Lord received a portion of both bread and meat burned on the altar. The priest received a portion and the worshiper received a portion. In fact, verses 22 through 27 say that uh, the Israelites cannot eat fat at any time. That was the special part of the meat and that was always given to the Lord. They couldn't even eat the fat if they came across an animal that had been killed by beasts or they found dead, they could use the fat for other purposes, such as a lot of times they'd use it for oil for their lamps or, or various other purposes, but they could not eat it. That was always given to the Lord. It represented the best of the animal, and also the blood was never to be eaten because it was holy. It represented the life of the animal, which was given for our sins, to make ransom for our very lives, the life of the animal for, for the worshipers. We see in verses 28 through 36 that while the fat is to be brought to the Lord, two good cuts of meat are to be brought to the priest. Verses 30 through 33 and verses 34 through 35 says that the breast goes to the high priest and his sons. 
Now the ESV says that this is to be waved before the Lord, which is a mistranslation. It really should be uh, elevated to the Lord or held up high, and the worshiper would come uh, on his knees, and he would hold this up to the Lord, demonstrating that he is offering it up to him. But this reveals that worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is giving honor to whom honor is due. And so the priest and the common people sat down and ate this meal together in the courtyard of the tabernacle. And verse 15 says that the meat of the thanksgiving or praise meal had to be eaten that very day. And then verse 16 says that the vow and free will offering needed to be eaten within two days. Now, eating in a whole animal takes more than two days. And we in Wyoming who uh, have uh, harvested an animal know this. It actually provides meat for quite a while. And so what would this mean if you had to eat this whole animal within a day or two? You would have to invite some guests, right? And that's the point here. Is a sign of communion, fellowship, and friendship. Eating in the presence of God showed that we were welcomed and we have communion with God, but also with one another. And so they would have a meal together, priests and people and, and other people of God coming together for this meal. And this is part of worshiping in the beauty of holiness, having this unity with the people of God. And no, uncon- and no unclean person is welcomed at this meal, verses 19 through 21 say. Now, uncleanness during the Old Covenant time was any sort of physical uncleanness or touching a dead animal or, or an unclean person. But this, is we're going to see, points to spiritual uncleanness. It's a picture of spiritual uncleanness, which in the New Covenant refers to one who is not a believer, one who is spiritually unclean, not allowed to come to the worship meal. And what is the worship meal in the New Covenant? Well, the worship meal is the Lord's Supper. This is why we observe the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day when we gather together for worship. It's part of our worship as the corporate body of Christ. And Paul calls the Lord's Supper a communion meal. He uses that word in 1 Corinthians 10.16. It's a communion with the body and blood of Christ. It's a communion with Christ. He is not bodily present, but He is spiritually present. He is with us by the Holy Spirit. And so when we sit down for this communion meal, we sit down not only with one another as one body, we have unity and fellowship with one another, but we also have communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are welcomed with, by Him in His presence, and we sit down for a meal in His presence. And all who are in Christ take of one bread and drink of one cup. That is, there's not a special meal for some over here and then, and then a less meal over here. Rather, we all take the same bread, the same cup, because we all share in that one sacrifice. We all have the same need and the same remedy, which is Christ's body and blood given for us. So we have nothing to boast in. 
we are all sinners. We, we may sin in different ways, but we are all sinners with the same need and receive the same forgiveness by the same sacrifice. And no spiritually unclean person that is unbeliever can partake in this meal as it will be in that final meal in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Whereas Revelation says, no unclean person will ever enter. And if it was not for Christ cleansing us, we would not be able to enter. We do not clean up ourselves, but rather we rely on the sacrifice as the only way to stand before God as holy. And that's what this meal represents. So worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is to sit down with Christ for a meal, feeding on His body and blood, not in a literal manner, but in a spiritual manner, having communion with Him. And that's a good segue, actually, now into the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, as I've said, is something we observe every Lord's Day because it is part of our worship. It is a sign of the fellowship we have with Christ. When you come and take of the bread and take of the cup, know that you are welcomed by Christ. You are sitting down with Him for a meal. We don't see Him physically. We don't see Him bodily. But He is present by His Spirit. And that's why this is called a communion with the body and blood of Christ. And we are truly spiritually nourished. Just as we are nourished on physical food when we eat, we are nourished spiritually. We are spiritually fed by Christ, by His sacrifice, when we partake in the Lord's Supper because of what it conveys. There's nothing magical in the elements, but they are a picture of what it costs for us to come and be able to come into His presence, to have fellowship with Him. That there was a body that was violently torn and there was blood that was poured out and given to us so that we would be welcomed by Him and received by Him. So know that when you eat and drink, that Christ is saying to you who believe, you are my dearly beloved children who are welcomed by Me. And that encourages us, does it not? That encourages us to throw off sin. Why would I want to go on sinning when He has so loved me and given Himself for me? When I'm welcomed in His presence, and what did it cost? It cost that sacrifice being cut in pieces, being scourged, being set on fire, facing the fiery wrath of God. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and Christ did this for us so that we may go and sin no more that we may be delivered from our sin, its penalty, its power, and one day, its presence. So if you're trusting in Christ, eat and drink one body, knowing the fellowship we have with Christ and with one another, the unity we have is because of this one sacrifice offered for the forgiveness of our sin. If you're not trusting in Christ, then turn to the Lord. Trust in Him. May today be the day of salvation. May you not be one of those in hell who burn forever and ever, but rather trust the sacrifice that did it for you, the work, the work of Christ, 
in the providence of God, you are here, hearing the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is appealing to you. God Himself is appealing to you to be reconciled to Him. You don't need to do anything. You simply look to Him. Look to Christ. As the the people in the, the Old Testament were bitten and were dying by the serpent, they just simply looked at this serpent lifted up. So you look to Christ. Look to the One who was a curse for you so that you may live and trust that that is all that's needed to deal with all your sin. So at this time, those who believe, if you would uh, come up a row by row, take both elements, wait until everyone's been served, and we will eat and drink together. And there's also some in the back of the back two rows. So if you please start coming up. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.